Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard. Now, today I'm speaking with Dr. Ann M. Hester. She was fantastic to speak with. I enjoyed it immensely, and I hope you do too. We discuss her book that is meant to empower patients to understand where to find information on her website, in her book that allows patients or people that are possibly going to be patients, which is everyone, to be more prepared, be ready for what could come up dealing with a doctor, dealing with the ER, and all these different areas that we as general public should be better aware of. I enjoyed the conversation. She was a very happy, friendly person and was more than happy to give information to you and I to allow us to know what to do and get just the tip of the iceberg on being prepared. I enjoyed it. I look forward to reading her book when I get a chance. She's another one of those people that I feel her book would be a useful tool in life in general. So take the time, listen to her and I talk about the different things that are useful and helpful what's going to be a way to improve your life and hopefully save you money dealing with the doctors because those bills can really hurt. With that being said, just to cover a few topics that I want to get off into the, the air and discuss with you before we get into the interview, because, well, I always have to do this. I have started a program or not a program but a bonus of doing reviews so when you listen to the show you'll hear the authors i talk to now some of these authors i get their books i read their books i either get the audio ebooks or paper books i'm working on doing reviews short 15 minute reviews Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter, but it's meant to give you an insight of my thoughts of the book. It's just purely my opinion, bad, good, whatever it might be. These are authors that I've spoken with that you can hear the interview of, and I'm taking the insight that I've gained from the conversation I've had with them and going through their book to understand what to expect, what to get out of it, how I feel about it. And I think it's a fun thing for at least for me right now. Hopefully you enjoy it. I've at this point, I've recorded a few of them. I haven't decided how often I'm going to share them out, but I do have a list growing. And as I go, I don't have a schedule of putting them out. This is going to be a season two event. So for season two, you're going to be able to start seeing reviews. And with that, I'm going to give as much honesty as I can to give you the best review I can. I'm also going to try to bring in other people every now and then on these reviews, which might extend the book conversation a little longer, that are actual people that normally read these topics. So if it's a topic I'm not familiar with, I'm bringing somebody else in so that they can give me their opinion. Plus, I enjoy talking with people. It's just me. With that being said, I want to remind you, you can go to authorblurb.com. 
If you're not sure of the website, look at the show na- name and put a .com at the end. Pretty simple. Go there. I have people or people, I have authors. Well, they are people. I have authors who are writing articles for you to read to be able to understand their writing, their views, things like that. I also have profiles on there of these authors who you can learn more about them. You can go to their links that they provide me. Some of them give me social media, their websites, different places that they feel would be useful to you. And I try to give you everything I can so you can get to know and discover an author that's going to make you happy or enjoy reading. With that, you can sort and find authors by the categories, by the genres, fiction, nonfiction. If you know it, you can search their name. I mean, I'm putting it out there and doing what I can. Hopefully, it's helpful to you and you enjoy it. You can also find authorblurb.com on social media, I believe Twitter. I said I don't remember really all the different places I put, but I'm really active on Twitter. So if you want to talk to me there, you can reach out to me there. You can reach out to me on the website, authorblurb.com, where I have a contact page. I also have something called SpeakPipe, which allows you to leave a 90-second message for me to hear. And as I've been saying, if you have a question for me, I'll answer it. And if it's clean, I'll put it on the show. If you have a question for another author that's been on the show, I'll send it to them. And if they answer it, what I will do is I'll take their answer and put it onto a show for you to hear and be able to get that answer back. So this is all about you, the readers and the authors connecting. You finding that author that is going to make you happy, that is going to make you basically interested in their book. That's their job is to make you understand or at least help you understand what they're trying to do. Just like this conversation I had with Anne, she described, went through and told us all about the different things that her book is meant to help guide us through. It's a tool. This is for us to be able to reach out to authors, to readers, to anybody that wants to find a new book that's not the big, big top 10 or the million dollar authors, whatever you want to call them. It's trying to discover that author that is just starting, just growing, or is just trying to get their name out. These are the authors I talk with that are fantastic people. And to be honest with you, if they weren't fantastic people, I wouldn't have them on the show. And at least I wouldn't air the show with them on it. I'm happy to say that these are people that I would enjoy talking with in real life. They're good people from the little I've spoken with them. That's the feeling I get. Go find them. Read their articles. You can find the podcast on authorblurb.com. You can find links on the different shows of where they are hosted. So if you want to listen to it somewhere else other than my webpage, you can find it there. And you can go to your favorite host service, find it. Depending on if your app has a boost, you can boost and support. You can do whatever you want. 
what I ask is for you to share the show, let people know about it, and help me get the author's name out there. And you can also find the interview with me discussing my trilogy of the thriller books that I've crime thriller, crime organization books that I've written. So enjoy the show. Enjoy Anna and I talking. I think that it's going to be very informative and very helpful and reach out to me. Let me know what you think. And yeah, that's about the gist of it at this point. So enjoy the show. Thank you. So I'm here with Ann M. Hester and to be technical, this is Dr. Ann M. Hester, but Ann, I appreciate you being on. You've written a book about empowering people to deal with their medical life a lot better, if I understand everything correctly. And to be honest with you, I was looking through the reviews, looking through everything about the book, and I swear I have a friend that could have used this book probably a couple months ago. Do me a favor. It's always better for you, the author, to describe a bit about yourself and about the book because, as anyone knows, I do a hack job at most times on things I'm trying to describe, and I get tongue-twisted easily. So help me out if you would. Could you tell people a bit about yourself and your book? Gladly. First of all, thank you for having me on your show. So I have practiced um, internal medicine. I am a board-certified internist, and I have about 30 years or so of direct patient care experience. I realized in medical school that there is a huge discrepancy between the way doctors think and the way patients think. We go to medical school, nurses go to nursing school. There's no patient school. I'm working <laughs> on that, by the way. But anyway, um, and I wanted to help people understand how to communicate with us on a new level, because when patients can communicate with doctors, it can help expedite the diagnosis, decrease the need for unnecessary tests and procedures, and the system just runs more smoothly. When a nurse goes to see a doctor and sits down, she's able to hit the bullet point. She knows exactly what he's looking for. Patients, they've never been given that knowledge. And so the reason I wrote the book, Patient Empowerment 101, more than a book, it's an adventure, is to try to bridge the gap to help the average person understand how to communicate with doctors on an unprecedented level and really put themselves where they deserve to be. And that's at the very center of their healthcare team. All right. Now, I can understand that quite well, considering me personally, I understand a mechanic a whole lot easier when he's talking about the little detail widgets that I have no idea about than I have doctors. I mean, I'll be honest with you. My wife usually has to yell at me that I need to go check out the doc, need to not check out. I need to go see a doctor or something like that for stuff. And I'm just like, why? They're going to tell me a bunch of mumbo jumbo. I don't understand it. And then it's going to be, well, after everything's said and done, wait a couple of days, see what happens. What does your book actually start going into to help people? Like I said, from what I've read, it looks like it's meant to help people be able to handle dealing with the doctors, kind of like a instruction guide, kind of what you were talking about, getting people into understanding how the doctors think and being able to handle them. Yeah. So where do we start off with your book that helps people with that? Well, the book starts explaining 
how you even go about choosing a doctor, how to research the doctor, um, the best steps you can take to end up with the right doctor who can partner with you in a way that you feel comfortable with. So that's very important, picking the right doctor. What people don't understand is that there are national guidelines, they're called Evaluation and Management Guidelines, EM guidelines, that Medicare and other insurers use. And the significance of that is the doctor can't just charge whatever he wants to charge for a visit. You go in and see the doctor, there are specific bullet points that the insurers are looking for. And those bullet points, they go way beyond just being reimbursed, those bullet points help the doctor narrow down potential diagnoses. Um, so for instance, when you go to see a doctor, one thing I go over is preparing in advance. Don't wait till you're sitting on a cold examining room table, angry that the doctor is an hour behind, you're in pain, you have a flimsy gown that's tearing up. <laughs> that's not the time to think through why you're there. When you first develop a symptom, I take you through the steps. So. There are eight elements of what we call the history of present illness, basically the reason you made the appointment to see the doctor. Mm -hmm. Number one, the severity. It's very important to try to quantify how severe a problem is. Doctors use a scale of one to 10, with one being uh, minimal pain and 10 being, oh my gosh, 10 would be childbirth or a broken <laughs> bone. One okay. Be, uh, I barely feel it, no big deal. And five is like moderate. So use that scale. I've had patients who told me, you know, my pain is a 10 over 10. While they're sitting there texting, watching TV, eating, <laughs> that's not 10 over 10 pain. Understanding the level of pain helps the doctor determine what to do about it. Not only helps the doctor determine what to prescribe to help get rid of your pain. Uh, it also helps the doctor understand the likelihood that it is diagnosis A versus diagnosis B. So number one, severity. Number two, mm -hmm. location. Don't just say, I have stomach pain. You have a lot of organs in the abdominal cavity. Doctors divide the abdomen into quadrants, the right upper quadrant, the right lower quadrant, the left upper quadrant, the left lower quadrant. There are different things in each quadrant. If you say, I have pain in my right upper abdomen, which is the right upper quadrant, then the doctor may start thinking about your gallbladder, your liver, maybe your pancreas. If you say it's in the right lower quadrant, the right lower abdomen, he may be concerned about appendicitis and so forth. And so be as specific as possible, whether it's the abdomen, chest pain, back pain. I don't know, do you mean right below your shoulder blade on the right? Do you mean in the spine, very low down? Be specific. So severity and location. Next, duration. How long have you endured the problem? Such as, Doc, I've had this problem off and on for three weeks. That's the duration. The timing is a little different. Doc, I've had this problem. I've endured the problem off and on for three weeks. But each time it comes, it lasts for two hours. So those are the first four. Severity, location, duration, and timing. The context is important. I have this severe 10 over 10 back pain. And I noticed that right after I lifted a very heavy sofa, that context tells <laughs> your doctor a lot. So think about what was going on. Modifying mm -hmm. factors. I have a headache and within 30 minutes of taking a, a baby aspirin is gone. Okay, that says a lot versus within, you know, 
eight hours of taking Tylenol every four hours and a full strength aspirin it starts to let up a little bit. So the modifying factors, what makes it better, what makes it worse? The quality, if it's pain, for instance, if you tell the doctor, I have this crushing, squeezing pain, he's going to be more concerned about your heart than if you say, you know, I have this burning pain or I have this prickly sort of pain. So the type, the quality is important and associated signs and symptoms. For instance, if you have abdominal pain and you also have diarrhea, that says something to the doctor. So the associated signs and symptoms. So I go through the significance of developing your history in advance. So when you walk into the doctor's office and you're sitting in his room waiting for him, you can go over this again in your head and you can actually print um, some information, which I have on a website I created for the users of the book. All right. Um, but when the doctor walks in, you can give him a... 30 second, one minute elevator speech, so to speak, and give him a wealth of information. And he'll take that information, it will narrow down the potential problems, which means he'll need to order fewer tests and procedures to pinpoint what's going on. Less of a need to have to come back next week for a follow-up visit. There'll be less of a need for extra prescriptions for a trial to see if they work or not. Fewer tests, which can be painful, expensive, and sometimes dangerous, mm -hmm. and less waste to the healthcare system. And so I explain to people the things that the lay public has never been taught, but the medical professionals know are key to getting to the right diagnosis and getting there quickly. That is just the tip of the iceberg in this book. All right. Yeah, from what I looked at, there's a whole lot of stuff in there. Now, here I have. I say this, I do have a slew of questions and I'm trying to narrow down because, you know, everybody has a hundred questions on this topic. Yeah. So in your book, let's say, for an example, my one buddy, he got hurt, he broke his arm. And obviously at that time, you're not sitting there. You know what the pain is, what the problem is. Mm -hmm. Does your book benefit somebody if they've read the book prior? Say he had your book. He read it before all this, so he knew what to expect if anything ever happened. And he breaks his arm and goes to the emergency room. Would your book actually help him? Because he doesn't have the planning. He, It's obvious. My arm, it's broke. Pain levels, holy criminy, ow, 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 whatever, 10 out of 10. How would your book help somebody like him? It would absolutely help for multiple reasons. Number one, the book explains... There, there's a whole chapter, one of the longest chapters, that deals with the emergency room, what to expect, how to prepare to go to the emergency room. When you're sitting there um, getting ready to see the doctor, then you can start going through additional information. This book is available on Kindle, so you can have it on your iPhone. You can pull up this information. The doctor, when he comes in, he's going to want to know a lot of things. He's going to want to know your medical history, your medication allergies. He's going to want to know a lot of information. And one thing I talk about in the book, another chapter deals with your personal medical record. I recommend that people get um, a three-ring binder. They can download the charts I have on the website. And within the book, there are the web pages for people who have the book to go and download everything they need to create their own personal health record. In addition, there is a companion book. It's called Patient Empowerment 101 Companion Book. Is the bound version of a personal health record. And so you write all this information down, your 
your medications, your uh, medical history, your family history, your drug allergies, all of these things. You take that in with you to see the doctor. It can help him tremendously because what we often hear is, you know, a doctor gave me this pill a while back and I was allergic to it. Well, what's the name of it? You know, I don't know. It's a little white pill. You don't know <laughs> what that means. But pharmacy, um, well, I'm not sure it's a while back. And so by having everything that you need at your fingertips, such as with this companion book, when you're headed to the ER, pick it up, walk out the door. The doctor will have all that information handy. In addition, um, you could do an even more extensive version with going through the instructions I give and all of the, the charts which are in the companion book. But you can also copy um, things like your EKGs from prior visits, your lab tests. So, for instance, you go in, your arm is broken. They do a, a range of tests. Oh, the kidney blood test is abnormal. And you don't know if it's abnormal before or not. If you have this information, you can say, you know, you give it to the doctor. Okay, this creatinine blood test was two last year. Today is 2.1. I'm not going to worry about that versus this is something concerning. We need to do more tests to figure out what's going on. And so regardless of if it's an acute visit, if it is an ongoing follow-up visit, if it's a visit to see a specialist, whatever the case may be, the book, the companion book, the Kindle version on your your um, phone, those things can go a tremendous way in helping your doctor help you expeditiously. All right. So let me ask this then. With the companion book, you're talking about printing this and that. And the one thought I have about that is, like, I, I have so many papers, books. I work from home. So literally, my office is full of stuff everywhere to actually keep track of that. Now, if you say, hey, where's this file at? I keep everything on a cloud drive for me, myself personally. Mm-hmm. Would it make sense or is it possible for people to be able to take your files and make a digital book as well to be able to pull it up and show their doctor on the phone so it's always with them in case of emergencies? Yes, because number one, the companion book is a bound version. In the um, main book, Patient Empowerment 101, more than the book, it's an adventure. I take you through the steps as far as making a dynamic version where you get a three-ring binder and the tabs and you download everything and mm-hmm. you put them in there. These files I created, they're Word files, they're fillable files. So, for instance, you go to the section on symptoms and you say, I have abdominal pain. You download the abdominal pain file. That is a list of frequently asked questions that we're going to want to know with abdominal pain. So you can think about that in advance. You can fill it out on your computer. You can save it. You can print it. You can transfer it to your flash drive. You can transfer it. You can email it to yourself, however you want to do that. You can create your file, um, your family history, medical history, all of those things that I have that are downloadable files on the site. You can fill them all out, make them one document, email it to yourself and save the email to one of your email folders so you can pull out your phone and show him. One thing with the flash drives is that some doctors, it's not uncommon that people are not going to use an external drive because if there is a virus and that virus gets into the hospital system, somebody can access other people's records. So they're Mm -hmm. less likely to use your flash drive. But if you've made 
uh, a copy and you email it to yourself and you just open that email, voila, everything is there. So you can do whatever you want to do with the files. Sounds perfect. Yeah. Like I said, for me, digital is as much as I try to fight digital, everything I do now is digital. So to me, that would be a bigger benefit there. And it sounds like it's able to be done. Now, you also mentioned about and I believe it mentions about splitting the cost of the bills from the doctors as well. So I assume there's a section in your book about the financial concerns and how to deal with the financial sides of it, or am I misthinking something? Well, what I explain, one thing is I explain the different insurance options. So um, an example of what you're, you're saying <clears throat> may be the high deductible health plan with a health savings account. For a young, mm-hmm. healthy person, if you have that option uh, with your job and they offer you a plan, a traditional plan, and you pay $200 per pay period um, versus a high deductible option and you pay $30 per pay period. It may be in your best interest if you don't typically see doctors to choose that cheaper plan. You'll have a higher deductible. You may have a $2,000 deductible before the insurance kicks in. But if you've saved thousands of dollars a year on your premium and you go to see the doctor you know, once every two years, then it's cost effective. Right. Uh, as far as other ways to minimize costs, by going through the steps that I explain regarding preparing in advance, then the doctor is likely to, lead to need fewer tests. Tests have costs associated with them. Having to go back to the doctor for a follow-up visit that takes time of your work and maybe a PTO day that you could spend on a beach in the Bahamas. You don't <laughs> want to keep going back to the doctor if you don't need to. Right. So if you can help the doctor help you, there's a strong chance you can decrease the frequency of follow-up visits, decrease the money you spend on prescriptions, time off for tests, and so forth. Another thing I talk about in the book is if you are hospitalized, you cannot assume that you are what we would consider to be an inpatient. You can go to the ER. You can be admitted. Let's take your friend. He broke an arm. He went to the ER. Uh, let's say that they decided to keep him because he was a little bit dehydrated. So he got in bed. They gave him IV fluids overnight and sent him home. Mm-hmm. That would not be considered typically an inpatient state. That would be observation. So basically, you're in a hospital bed, but the billing is at a completely different level. The insurance companies are not going to pay the same amount of that bill. Your friend may end up paying for the IV fluids, the Tylenol, for everything. And under the observation status, the bill is going to be significantly higher. And that is well beyond what a doctor can do. The doctor can say, oh, he's a nice guy. I'm going to write the order for inpatient versus observation. There have to be concrete things that would need to be taken care of in that setting. And so by asking the doctor, what is my status? You And letting the doctor know, you know, if there's something that doesn't have to be taken care of in the hospital, such as tests that you're curious about, like why am I anemic and there's no evidence of anything serious, can you put that in my discharge summary and my doctor can do it later? That way you don't have to pay for a lot of tests that are not essential you go out and you go see your doctor as an outpatient. The doctor, uh, it, there, it may be more cost effective to do that workup then than have a much higher bill in the hospital. So you need to know your status. So those are a few of the things that you can do that can have a significant impact on the money that you have to pay for your health care. 
All right. So hopefully you don't take this question the wrong way that I'm thinking about, but you've been in the medical field for 30 years or so, you said. And in doing so, and this is what I don't want you to take the wrong way, most people when they go to a doctor, or at least people I've spoken with and even me personally, it feels like the doctors are trying to get as much out of you as they can. And it's more of a, well, I want to run this test and run this test. And I'm like, why, what's this test for? And they're like, oh, well, because I need to check this. It feels like they're trying to get as much money out of you and the insurance. Why are you writing, why did you write this book? Because it seems contradictory to what most people see in the medical field of what they, or at least the experience I've heard from others and I've had. Okay. So number one, no, I'm not offended. Um, if you are not in the medical field, then again, there's no patient school. So we couldn't expect the average person to understand I'm getting this for this and this for that. So that's the norm. That's part of the problem. Doctors and patients don't think alike. One mm -hmm. thing with this book is it helps put us on a more level playing field. So if you go in to see the doctor and the doctor is thinking it could be this, it could be that, it could be this, it could be this, realizing that we're in a 1-800-CALL-LAWYER society, right. the doctor is going to feel the need to cover more bases. There's not much to miss anything. But if you give the doctor such an excellent history, he's like, well, nobody could fault me for not looking at this because it's clearly not this. Nobody could complain that I didn't do this because this is classically in another direction. All right. That's the point. If you can focus on what the doctor needs to know, the important points to direct your doctor where he needs to go, then he's not going to need as many extraneous tests. He's not going to worry about defensive medicine as much because he can defend his decisions. Whereas when a patient is not prepared and gives a circuitous history, and he's not really sure what's going on. It could be interpreted as A, B, C, D, or E. It is not uncommon for a doctor to order a plethora of tests because he's not sure. And so right. you hit it right on the head. That is the point. All right. And then what what drove you to write this book to be able to help people with it? Because you could have easily just kept on with your practice and done everything as status quo why did you write this to actually help people understand to, I guess, start the patient school, as we could call it, or as you've mentioned a few times, what got you to that? What made you think that it's a worthwhile avenue to go? This started in medical school decades ago. I had a lady who came in with a large breast cancer. I was a third year medical student in the clinic. She came in with a large breast cancer on the left breast. It was draining pus. I was only a medical student and I said, this is the answer. You know, there, there's no reason that we should be here today. A mammogram could have caught this. This woman's probably going to die. Right. I saw that case over and over and over and over so many times that there was such a huge void between what doctors know and what patients know. It's ludicrous. There is no reason we can put a person on the moon, electric cars, all sorts of things. Why can't we teach patients how to think in a way that is going to help optimize their care, maybe save their lives, save their bank accounts? 
There doesn't have, there, there shouldn't be an us them. We are in this to help patients. Patients come to us to be helped. We should be working together like a well-oiled machine, not doctors and nurses have this bit of information. Patients don't know what to do and they feel lost. That makes no sense. And so decades ago, I just felt this needs to change. You know, if you give a person the correct information, the person can go a long way. If you don't give that person the information, that person is likely going to suffer unnecessarily. It's not rocket science. It's just we've had a paternalistic healthcare system, and that system has to change. Patients deserve the information that they need so they can put themselves at the center of their team, make wise decisions about their care, and be integrally involved in their care. All right. Now, this, because of my past history and different things that has happened with either me, my family, or what so have you, here's one thing that I'm curious about is, for example, I'm a very healthy person, right? And almost everyone in my family is a very healthy person. We rarely see the doctor because, well, one, we're, like I said, healthy. But when family members get to a certain age, they tend to have issues where they need help and the people to family members to take them. Would your book help somebody that's helping an elderly parent or an elderly sibling or whatever it might be to be able to help them with their medical life as well? Absolutely. On many levels. Number one, there's a chapter on the significance of having a patient advocate. A lot of people don't realize that there, uh, for Medicare, there's the ombudsman program. Um, also, people can hire a professional patient advocate. Uh, there can be a nurse who's certified as an advocate who can help you understand your medical problems, your medical bills, can contact the insurance company, can do all sorts of things as a professional advocate. And people just a lot of people are completely unaware that there is a profession called patient uh, patient advocates. But even before that, I talk about in this chapter the significance of bringing a family member, somebody you trust in, so they can help you understand what's going on. If you go to the emergency room and you're sick and the doctor's asking you questions and you're sick, you may not feel like answering or you may have been given a pain medicine and you can't answer. If you have a family member next to you who knows your medical history, who knows your drug allergies, who knows all of these things and can answer the questions on your behalf, then that is tremendous. For instance, having the companion guide. Mom's sick, the companion guide is on her dresser. I come over to take her to the ER, pick up the companion guide, take it with me to the ER, hand it to the doctor, the doctor has what he needs right in front of me, right in front of him or her. So certainly um, advocacy is very important and it's so important, I even dedicated a chapter to it, but it goes over the significance of having an advocate because sometimes you can't speak for yourself. Even if you're young and healthy, God forbid a person is in a car wreck and that person has a potentially life-threatening reaction to drug A, he can't tell the ER doctor that, and he may get a medication like that because nobody knows. So that's just one example of how everybody can benefit by creating a personal health record 
and sharing it or its location with somebody they care about. Okay. Now, other than that, what other topics does your book cover to help people try to navigate through the medical field of dealing with the doctors, the insurance, and what so have you? So um, there is one chapter dealing with symptoms. And not only does it go through like the severity of location, eight bullet points, but also I talk about 11 common symptoms, uh, abdominal pain, fevers, back pain, and so forth. And there are downloadable questionnaires on my website. Uh, and the same questionnaires are in the book. So for instance, if you develop a fever, you open the book and you start thinking about the questions the doctor may ask. What typically happens is when you go to see the doctor, you pull together the information right there. You may not have really focused. You may not have paid attention. Oh, doc, you know, I really didn't know this. So I'm not sure. You don't need to do that. If you have abdominal pain, fevers, diarrhea, uh, a list of 11 very common symptoms, you read through them. And so you'll look for them. Mm -hmm. I had abdominal pain. Oh, yeah, my stools are really dark. To the average person, they may think, oh, maybe it's the greens I ate. If they're really dark and, and tarry looking, the doctor can say, okay, you could be bleeding internally. That's huge. So mm -hmm. that's an example of how when you know what the doctor is going to ask, the common questions the doctors need to know about common symptoms, you can start looking for these things. So when you sit down with the doctor, yes, no, I had this. It started three days ago. And you can be right on point. I once asked a patient a yes or no question. She's loquacious. I realized it was going to take her some time. It took her 10 minutes. It was a yes or no question. Doctors don't have 10 minutes at this time for a yes or no question. Right. And so they, they interject, they intervene. I just gave her all the time she needed because I was curious how long it would take her. And I had that extra time that day. But we are looking at a potential tsunami in the healthcare system. The um, American Association of Medical Colleges, the organization that administers the medical college admissions test and deals with the medical school applications, they have predicted that by the year 2034, we could have a shortage of up to 100 and I think 24,000 doctors in America. And if you consider the healthcare needs of those who are currently underserved, such as those in certain minority communities, those in rural America who just don't have the access that they need, if they were able to access the healthcare system like the rest of us do, that deficit could be about 180,000 doctors. So just imagine waking up one day and your state is short thousands of doctors. How hard is it going to be to get an appointment? How long will you have with the doctor each appointment? It is alarming just to imagine that. And so we need to start preparing in advance for what has already been foretold. We know what we're going to expect. We know in the not so distant future, there's going to be a huge deficit of doctors. And so if we prepare ourselves in advance, when that time does hit, we will be more prepared to weather the storm, so to speak. All right. Now, here's, I guess, a question is, do you think that, one, the shortage of doctors is kind of the also another reason of why people like me, for an example, avoid going to the doctor. Well, I've always avoided going to the doctor, even when I was young. But do you think that with how the medical industry has become, people don't really feel comfortable going to the doctor anymore because of the quick pace um, attention they get 
It's let's do this, let's do this. Like you said, doctors don't have 10 minutes for a yes or no question. And if you don't answer them right away, I've, I've been to a doctor's appointment for my kids and I literally said, told as I was walking out, told the nurses in the schedules, do not ever schedule me for that doctor again, because he was in a rush. He didn't listen to what I was asking. He was focused on something completely different and it frustrated me. It made me angry. And literally that's part of the reason that I eventually changed pediatricians for my kids is because of that. Now, do you think that has a huge part to play in why people are avoiding doctors, why there's such a disconnect? And is there a way that people can get back to feeling comfortable with the doctors? Because really, and this is just kind of my opinion, Mm -hmm. there's very few family doctors anymore. It's a group I remember growing up, there was a family doctor, he knew you, your whole family, all this. Now it's, oh, I see you are, yes, here's your name. And it's kind of that reaction. Do you feel that's a big issue nowadays? And like I said, what can we do to change that? I do. So, excuse me, first of all, getting the right doctor matters. And Mm -hmm. one of the first chapters deals with choosing the right doctor. If after your research, your recommendations and so forth, you go to see a doctor and you don't feel comfortable, that was the interview. The doctor failed. Find another doctor. That being said, the doctor does not have to have 30 minutes to sit down and talk, but you need to feel comfortable that that doctor respects you, that doctor listens. But on the flip side, when patients are given information that unfortunately they just don't have now, and they can go in and give the pertinent information, the doctor is less likely to interrupt because you've already told him. You can tell the doctor in a minute all of these eight elements that I talked about. Right. You are prepared. The problem is we have not prepared the we have not prepared the society at large to be able to do that. And so a rush doctor who knows, okay, I have five more patients. This per this patient's vomiting. I, I may have to get to the ER because Mrs. Jones is there or with that pneumonia. So there may be a million things going on in that doctor's head. Mm-hmm. And just like there's this saying, you know, you can't judge a person until you walk a mile in the shoes. Right. It's very difficult on both sides. So after going through such a long time studying science, living, breathing science, sometimes doctors, high percentage of doctors, you know, and that includes myself, um, it's easy to fall into just the use of that terminology, I'm so used to it, is normal, that that's my comfort zone. And so we have to sometimes be cognizant, take a step back. I didn't always know this. I wasn't always a doctor. When I was in college or in high school, I didn't know these things. It's okay. Let's teach people what they need to know. Once they understand what we're looking for and they can come in and explain what's important, then that will expedite things without the unnecessary interruptions, the feelings that you're not being valued, you're not being listened to. But that doctor could have so many things going on. The only way he can get through that day is, okay, three minutes for this patient, Mrs. Jones needs to be worked in because she could be having an emergency. 
it is extremely stressful. And that is part of why so many doctors are leaving the field. The practice of medicine can be overwhelming. And so you have doctors who sometimes feel absolutely overwhelmed with their responsibilities, patients who feel absolutely overwhelmed because they're sick and they don't know how to navigate the system. You put them both in the same space and sometimes it doesn't go well. And that's what one would expect. And one reason for this book is to kind of calm the waters and help patients help us get to the bottom of things in a cost-effective, compassionate, time-efficient manner. And that's what I feel our health system needs to move to the next level. What you said is common. It's extremely common. There is a disconnect. And that is one thing that this book should help minimize. I'm not going to say it will get rid of it, but if people feel more comfortable selecting the right doctor, talking to their doctor, then they're more likely to go to the doctor when they get sick, which means they're less likely to end up in a bad situation that could have been prevented if they had gone six months earlier. When people don't want to see the doctor, they put off things, they put off early warning signs that can go from something curable to something catastrophic. And so it's like a cycle. It just never ends with all of the potential that could be gained by doctors and patients actually being on the same page. Sounds good. Now, I'm kind of curious, do you believe that or do you think that your book could help a doctor that reads this to try to understand the way patients are thinking as well? Or do you not see that being a tool for doctors as well? I do. And some of the reviews I have were from doctors um, or people affiliated with the medical field who also said, you know, this would be a good book for doctors to read as well, because by reading this, the doctors, you know, it may, they may think, you know, it's easy to, to develop a brochure to tell my patients these eight elements. And if they came in and they could tell me these eight elements, I could go quicker. I could get to the bottom line quicker. So, you know, it's like the light bulb goes off. You read what somebody else did and you tweak it to make it work for your practice. So mm -hmm. absolutely, I think that all levels, um, we all need to be on the same page. And my ideas, they're not 100% of the potential ideas, but I think that they are a pretty good start to get people thinking along the lines of how we can work together more efficiently. And usually a good start is all it takes to get the ball rolling. So, and I appreciate you being here. There's so much more questions I'd like to ask. And because there's a whole lot in the medical industry that everybody wants to understand better. And hopefully people go out and get your book so they can start understanding things and be a little better prepared. Now, with that, I have all your information on authorblurb.com under a profile for you. All the information you've given me, it's there for people to see. Where do you prefer people to go other than authorblurb to click on your website? And I believe your Amazon page is listed there. Where do you prefer people to go out and find you? Where do you want them to reach out to you? Well, they can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at patient101book. That's at patient101book. If they go to patientempowerment101.com and scroll to the bottom, they can print a free um, 
many medical records that they can fill out and keep in their wallet or their cell phone. And there's also a contact box that they can contact me that way. Um, there is, I have a patient empowerment 101.blog as well as .com where they can go and get additional information about ways to empower themselves. So those would be the main ways. Perfect. So thank you again for being here. Like I said, I do appreciate it. It's extremely informative. Your book sounds like it's a huge useful tool for people to be able to prepare to deal with the medical industry. So I would say people would be smart to go on and buy it. I'm, I'm going to put it on my list of books to get. And with that being said, I'm going to end the conversation for everybody else. But if you can hold on for me for a minute, we're going to talk a little bit more. Okay. Thank you. I'm glad you made it this far to the end of the show. I hope you've enjoyed it because that's what it's all about. I'd also like to suggest that you take the time and go find the other authors that are here. Find that author that you're going to love and you're going to want to share. It's all about the authors and that's why I'm here. Now, if you enjoy the show, I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. If you think it's worth it, go to the website, authorblurb.com. You can donate money, donate crypto, buy me a cup of coffee, things like that that helps me support keeping the show going. Right now, I don't do anything to try to delay, add, distract you. Everything's out of my pocket, and everything is meant to make authors be able to grow their audience and grow your attention. So, as always, thank you for being here. I hope you come back for the next show. And again, take the time, explore authorblurb.com. There's a lot there that you will be very happy to take the time to enjoy. And as final note, rate, review, shoot me an email through authorblurb.com. That way you can at least let me know what you think. I'm happy to always see reviews and hear what you think. Thank you. Have a good day.